husband is suffering from a very serious infection. The husband, who was a little hard of hearing, he said, what did he say? And the wife said, he says you're sick. The doctor went on, he said, but there's hope. This infection is because his immune system has been compromised. Your husband's under an incredible amount of stress. And so every morning, we need to figure out a way to reduce his stress. Every morning, just give him a healthy breakfast, be pleasant. Be nice and kind and for lunch and dinner, make his favorite meal. Let's not discuss problems and get his stress level up. Don't yell at him or argue with him. Just be there for him and everything will be okay. And if you can do this for the next couple of months, maybe up to a year, I think your husband can come through with a complete recovery. The husband said, what did he say? The wife said, you're going to die. Stress has a way of doing that. I've not been able to see this myself. On the slope of Long's Peak in Colorado, they say there is a huge tree that is laying down. For over 400 years, this tree survived. In fact, the naturalists and the, the, uh, the wildlife or the, or the forestry division, and it's weathered thousands of storms. They've documented 14 times that that tree was hit by lightning. But at the end, it was not the storm, it was not the age, it was not the lightning, it was not any of that, but it was beetles that attacked the tree and leveled it to the ground. A giant of a tree that age could not destroy. A tree that lightning could not push down and storms could not subdue. Fell because of beetles so tiny you could crush them with your fingers. It's amazing to me, and I've seen it, and I'm probably... A, a example of it. How many people are able to, res, to withstand the rare storm. They're able to withstand even the lightning blasts that come and knock them off their feet it seems. But in the end somehow it's those small beetles of worry and fear and tension and stress and anxiety that begins to bring them down low. I did not count all of this so I'm going by somebody else's documentation. They say there are 773,692 words in the Bible. I didn't count them. And in that, the book, the word worry, at least in the King James, is not found. There's other words that are close. Somebody made it this correlation. They said this because worry is not in God's vocabulary. God hath not promised skies ever so blue. Flower-strewn pathways always for you. God hath not promised sun without rain and joy without sorrow and peace without pain. But God hath promised strength from above, unfailing sympathy, and undying love. I don't know who wrote that, but they seem to have a handle on life and life with God. You begin to hear those that old song. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. I, I appreciate all music and my goodness we've had an incredible worship service. But I really appreciate when, and, and it's not just old hymns. There's some new hymns that come out. Hymns that, that do it and I like it. But I love it when a hymn paints such an incredible picture with just words. Perhaps you've never thought of the hymn this way, but think about it. When peace like a river attends to me, when sorrow like sea 
billows roll. I, I believe, and, and I'm not trying to put words in Horatio Spafford's mouth, the one that wrote and penned this, but I'm convinced he was saying that there is, I have peace at the same time I have sorrow. It's not one or the other. It's not peace and then later on calamity. But no, it's when calamity is attending my way and billowing over me, there is peace that comes. How in the world can you have calm and storm together? You can. It's with Jesus Christ. Horatio Spafford, Spafford rather, you'd think if he was going to write that song, It Is Well With My Soul, it's because he was a rich and successful lawyer, and that's true. He had invested heavily in the shores of Lake Michigan there in Chicago. He was wealthy beyond any of our uh, understanding, and perhaps that's what it meant to say it's well with my soul, but I would say a good portion of you know that's not the case. In 1870, things begin to go wrong. Their only son was killed and, and, and laid low by scarlet fever at age four. A year later, they lost almost everything they had in the great Chicago fire. Horatio and his wife, they, they, were, were, they followed D.L. Moody, the great evangelist. And D.L. Moody said, why don't you get away? Why don't you uh, uh, come over and be with us there in England and, and, and you can... can you know, just kind of rest and relax, and I need some help. And so, in late 1873, the Spaffords traveled to, from New York, or traveled to New York, in which they were going to catch the French steamer and go across the Atlantic. At the last minute, something came up in his business, and Horatio said, "I'm going to let you go on ahead, uh, my wife and my four daughters. You go, and I'll come just a little bit later." Nine days later, a telegram appears on Horatio Spafford's, Spafford's uh, 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 you know, doorstep and it says, from his wife, saved alone. Because November 2nd, 1873, that steamer, the Ville de Havre, collided with the Lochran, an English vessel, and in 12 minutes it sank and 226 people lost their lives. Anna Spafford stood on the deck with her daughters Annie and Maggie and Bessie and Tanita and they clung to her and her last memory of what was going on was the baby being torn from her arms by the force of the water. Anna alone was saved on a board that floated beneath her unconscious body and propped her up. Horatio got on that boat and began to travel as fast as he could and later as, as he got there, uh, the next ship, they, they, they waited and Somebody came, the captain of the bridge came and said, we, we, we know exactly where that ship went down and we're passing the place where it was wrecked. The water's three miles deep. Horatio stood on that ship, examined the place in which uh, most of his family had passed away, he returned to his, his lyrics and he penned that great hymn. The words that he wrote come from 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 26. They echo the response of the Shunanite woman in the sudden death of her only son that was promised by God and the prophet. And while we're told that the Shunammite's woman's soul was vexed within her, she still maintained all is well. And the story begins to unfold. And the song of Horatio Spafford reveals a man whose trust in God was unwavering as that Shunammite woman even in the midst of the storm. When peace, like a river, 
attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. How in the world could any of us stand in the midst of a struggle and stand in the midst of pain? How could we be so sure in the face of crisis? Perhaps the answer might be found in a prophecy, a word from the Lord in Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 13. And if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn there with me. There's some places in the Bible you need to just circle and underline and highlight and make a big deal about it, and this is one of those. I'm going to come back to this. We're going to read it now, but I'm going to come back and flesh it out here in a moment. Isaiah 49, Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, for the Lord hath comforted his people and will have mercy on the afflicted. Now, let me, let me just stop for a minute. Remember Isaiah when it was written. Isaiah was not written in the heyday of Israel's, you know, existence. All of those prophets, major and minor, were written in some dark times of Israel and Judah's life when they had walked astray and they began to worship idols. And I mean, if you really want to be depressed for a while, read Jeremiah. But in the middle of all of this punishment and exile and all of this, the Lord says, sing, comfort. But Zion says, this is, this is Israel, this is, this is God's people. They said, but... The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. It's, it's the, and, and over and over and over and over, especially in the prophets, you, you find that Israel's behavior is, is treated like an adulterous woman that has left her love. And, and this, this, this response comes back from the woman that went and did whatever she wanted to do and, and got to have fun in the world. And now she wants to come back and she can't because she knows that her husband is not going to accept her. And she has that response. How in the world could you love me, God, when I have forsaken you? I know you've forgotten me. And the Lord answers, can a woman forget, forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of the, her womb? Yea, I may have forgot, or rather, yea, they may have forgot, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of thy, my hands, and thy walls are continually before me. It's a very similar statement that God makes to Zerubbabel in Haggai chapter 2 and verse 20. That, and I'm reading the New Living Translation that, that that same day, December 18th, the Lord sent this second message to Haggai. He said, Tell Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, that I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow royal thrones and destroy the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overturn their chariots and riders, and the horses will fall, and the riders will kill each other. But when this happens, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will honor you, Zerubbabel. My servant, I will make you like a signet ring on my finger, for I have chosen you. The, the, the best way that I can describe this is for those of you that have a wedding ring. I'm, I'm going to assume, because I know how my wife is. I know how others are. There might be a moment you take that off and you put it on the sink as you wash dishes. But you always keep your eye on it. 
And the first thing you do when you're done is you put it back on. You don't just throw it in a pocket. You don't just throw it in the back seat of a car. But you make sure you know where that ring is at all time. This is what he was saying. Zerubbabel, you mean so much to me. You're like a signet ring on my finger. I don't just take it off for nothing. I know where it is at all times. It means something to me. It's connected to me. You think about this, uh, the Hubble telescope. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a few words, a few things that I found from a man by the name of Ken uh, Gurels, and I, I liked how he described this. First off, Spurgeon, the, the, the consummate preacher, he, he made the statement, he said that that, that phrase, that, that, that uh, you know, behold, I have graven you on my palms, that word behold ought to be the, the key of that, behold. That the, when, when, when they were lamenting and when there was doubt in Israel's mind and, and they could not even imagine that God would still love them after all of the sin that they had committed and they've said, the Lord's forsaken me, God has forgotten me and, and if I could put God into human understanding, God is amazed that they would even think that. God steps back and says, are you serious? I know you've walked a bad road. I know you've committed adultery with every idol in the forest. I know you've went to Egypt and you've done everything wrong. But are you serious? There's no way I could have forgotten you. Now, the Hubble telescope is pretty amazing. And years and years ago, they sent that up. And over the, the years that have followed, and even decades, they keep going back and they update it. And it takes pictures that are just hard to even comprehend. Swirling star clouds. And clouds of gas left over from an explosion of a dying star. Towering clouds of gas that are embryos of stars that are not yet born. born. How many of you have seen pictures that the Hubble telescope has taken? You know what I'm talking about. And in it, they say that we that with that Hubble telescope, we can see things in outer space that are two billion times fainter than what our eyes could see from Earth. And as that Hubble telescope peers into the darkness of space, they discover countless stars, Milky Way or, or galaxies. Even billions of galaxies, each made of millions and billions and possibly millions and billions of stars. We see these galaxies spinning and colliding, some that are 13 to 16 billion light years away. And it is a bit daunting to think that the God that created the universe... In fact, the Bible says in Psalms chapter 19 and verse 1, it says the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech and night after night they display knowledge. And you think about the hands of God that create spectacular works that are so far away you and I will never have a chance to even get there. In this city here we're 
so have so much light pollution. You don't really get to see the Milky Way, but if you've ever been blessed to go camping or get out away from the cities and away from the lights and you look up, the sky is completely different than what you see here and you see things you've never dreamed and as you look there, I I can see the God that was behind it and I see the God that sustains it and then you wonder, if God is so busy keeping all of that in line, how in the world would he care for you and I? Surely he has his hands full with life. Surely he has his hands full with all of those that are suffering in these third world countries and suffering in Argentina where socialism runs rampant and people are starving to death by the thousands. Surely he wouldn't care about just little old me, one speck in the midst of an eternity. But God does notice. In fact, if I could dare say, sometimes God gets a bit distracted because he hears that one voice crying. And he stops for a moment and he extends his hands down to one who feels as if you're overwhelmed. And he looks at you and he says, don't you understand? The same hands that flung the stars into space are the same hands that I have graven you upon my If I could, let me remind you that it doesn't matter if you think it's over. It doesn't matter if you think it's done. It doesn't matter if you think that he's put you out. It doesn't matter if you feel forsaken, dejected, or homeless. It doesn't matter if you're like Israel. The voice of God thunders throughout the ages. I will not forget you. In doing so, he uses how in the world could a mama forget the sucking child? I'm I'm amazed, and I I love my kids. I really do. There's a lot of nights I don't get up with them. Oh, my wife is here. I didn't mean to say that. I get up with them all the time. Every morning, every night. My wife could be five miles away in Zeke hiccups, and she hears it. But yet, even in that beauty, in that beautiful picture of the beauty of a mother and her love for her son, we live in a day in which even that love can be tested. I told you a few months ago when we were in Arizona doing their kids' camp, that there was a, a family there. They were Sunday school teachers and Sunday school directors. And, and, and I, I told you a story that just a couple weeks before that camp, there was a mom that gave her son up. Didn't even know this family that was in the church that taught the Sunday school, but he was a bus kid and went to Sunday school. And the mom said, I don't want my kid anymore. He was, what, 11 years old, I think, 10 years old, something like that. And, and the mom said, I don't want him anymore. Would you take him? I'll sign over all rights to you. I can't fathom that. I can't fathom a mom that says, I, I, my, my, my new husband doesn't like him, so I'm just going to give him away. That's the story. And so there are some moments in life in which a mom can forget the son. Alzheimer's and dementia can come, and it can, it can stress that relationship. And there would be somebody that says, see, I found a mom that forgot her son, and so that's why, God, you've forgotten me. But God says, well, let me take it a step further. It's not enough that I just love you the way a mother loves their son but I grave and you on my hands now close your eyes Daddy, my dad always taught me I can't write on myself close your eyes 
your, you got your, ball, your, your roller ball with you? Give me a pin. I want to show you something right now. Somebody, this is what you think God does. I couldn't write at all. It didn't work. But sometimes we think God loves us enough he writes us on our palm. And it sounds good, right? The problem is, let life happen. And pretty soon you find your life and you say, well, God, how come I don't see myself anymore there? But God says, I didn't just write you on my palm. I did something far more deeper. I did something far more uh, 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 eternal. I didn't just write you on my palm where sweat can wash it away and work can wash it away and taking a bath here and now can wash it away. But I engraved you on the palm of my hand. Can I tell somebody right now that when he died on the cross, and that nail pierced him what he was doing was engraving you on the palms of his hand how in the world could he ever forget you there's not a chance there's not a chance that he would forget you and so the promise is today as it was for Israel a promise that you and I got to go back to time and time and time again when the whole world seems arrayed and lined up against you when it seems that you are left to move through life by yourself and every step is as if you're slogging through waist-deep mud. It happens, and I quote now from Ken, it happens when you stand at a graveside. It happens when you, in the middle of the night you stand beside a hospital bed. It, it, it overwhelms you when you're on the bus. It overwhelms you when you're wrestling with depression. It comes back, that mind begins to say, does God even know where you are when you're going to the job that you can't stand and things are happening there you don't understand? It happens when you're invited to the party or, and, or, or when others are invited to the party and you're left alone and in the mind that begins to say, you are forgotten. But let me tell you, promise of God and again I quote from Ken my child you're right here your name is carved in my head and hand. Your face is forever etched in my mind. I will never forget you. Your friends may wander off. Your relationships may fade, but I will be with you always. Those around you may be distracted by problems and challenges, but there is no mountain too high or valley too low that you will ever go beyond me. And I wonder, does God ever tell you, just go outside and look up. And when you see the Milky Way, you see the stars go by remember the same hands that flung those stars into space are the same hands that he has your name graven upon it and every time he puts a star back into place he's looking at you and I and I'm telling you right now there is not a chance he will forget you not a chance not a chance so it is that Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 says this. Be careful for nothing. One translation says don't worry about anything. Instead pray about everything. 
Tell God what you need. Thank Him for what He's done. And you'll experience God's peace which exceeds anything you can understand. And His peace will guard your heart and mind as you live in Christ Jesus. That's the New Living Translation. Let me read to you the King James so you hear it. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I want somebody to listen to me because I'm not just talking about those that are experiencing turmoil perhaps in, in, in their life. And I am well aware of mental turmoil. I understand that depression and anxiety are very real things. And I'm not about to stand behind this pulpit and say all you need to do is come to the altar and all of your things will go away. That's not exactly how it works. And I, if I could get on a, a candy stick pulpit for just a moment, it really does frustrate me when I hear someone say just pray about it and it'll get better. Because they don't say that if you broke your leg, Brother Miller. If you broke your leg right now, I'm going to pray for you. But if God doesn't heal you in like three nanoseconds, we're going to call the ambulance and we're going to get it worked on, okay? And so I'm here to tell you that, that, that mental health is important and I understand and I'm thankful for my dad who's a licensed counselor. I'm thankful for Brother Tubb back there that's a licensed counselor. I'm thankful that we can help people but I do know this, that safety is not the absence of danger but safety is the presence of God in danger. Another one says this, peace that God gives is not the absence of trouble but it's the confidence that he's with you in the storm so I'm here today to tell you the storm may not disappear and the trouble may not go away and the fear may not subside but I want you to know right now that I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death because my God is with me I will not fear I will not doubt I will not hurt because he has me graven on the hands of his palm That word behold, somebody I think you're getting it, I think, you, I think you're beginning to feel it, but that word behold ought to excite you, it ought to be a way of marvel in you, it ought to bring up an admiration in you that hey, even though I've been vexed with anxieties, even though suspicions are coming, even though fears are racking me, there is a God that's never left me. <laughs> Verse 16 of Isaiah 49 Can you put that up? Who's back there? Is it Brother Travis or Brother Ron? Isaiah, we already read it Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 16 i got to show you one more thing. This is so important. See, the Bible, the Bible does not skimp or use words idly. So when the Bible chooses to say it a way, a certain way, there's a reason for that. Okay? Behold, I have graven thy name. Upon my palms. Is that what it says, Brother Cozart? No. No. Because I'm here today to tell somebody too many times you feel like God knows your name, but that's all. 
that God knows who you are, but that's all. He did not put your name on his palm. That's not what it says. Because if he just put your, his, your name on his palm, then he would be able to say, yeah, I know Brandon. He's going through a trial. I wish I could help him. I know who he is. No. He said, I have graven thee. I have graven thee. And Spurgeon says it this way. In that statement, you see the fullness of this. That God has graven your person, your image, your case, your circumstances, and your sin. And it's all right there. Everything about you. There's not one thing on his hands that he doesn't know about you. The good and the bad. The ugly. The sad. So it is that I speak not only to anxiety and depression and doubt. I speak to those who are like Israel and you've gone astray and your sin has gotten the best of you. The devil begins to peck at your mind and he says, God's forgotten you. God doesn't love you. You crossed the line, bud. That's why you're faced with this circumstance. That's why you're in that, 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 that captivity of Assyria. It's because you messed up and there's not a chance God loves you. But oh, would you hear? The Lord that begins to speak through His Word and then speaks through the understanding of the Word, He says, but behold, I've not forgotten you. In fact, I put you. John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And if you'd have known me, you should have known my Father. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. And Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father and it will suffice us. And Jesus said, have I been so long with you? How is that that, 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 that you, you don't know me, Philip? He that have seen me has seen the Father. And so how do you say, show me the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me and the words that I speak unto you? I don't speak of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. But it keeps on going. It says, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. Verse 16 takes a step further. He says, but I'm going to pray to the Father, and he'll give you another comforter that he might abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him, and he dwelleth with you and shall be in you, and I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet in a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I will live and you shall live also. And in that day you shall know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. And he says in verse 25, these things have I spoken unto you, yet being present with you. So I'm, I'm here with you, Peter and James and John. I'm here with you. But the comforter, that one I've been talking to you about, that comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring into remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it 
be afraid. So I'm here to tell you today that the greatest thing you can have is the gift of the Holy Ghost. Because that gift of the Holy Ghost is one way it reminds you you've been graven on his palms. We like to look at the Holy Ghost as that, that buck and jump and shake and man, I want to go pray for people and they be healed and I want the miraculous. But one of the first under, true understandings of what the Holy Ghost is is found right here in these words. It's one of the earliest recordings of exactly what the Holy Ghost is going to do in it. I know it's power that will come after you. That's Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But he says this is the comforter, the peace, even in the midst of a storm. I wonder if you could stand with me today. I preached the only way I know how. And the word of God has gone forth. I've watched you respond. I've watched you re, 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 move and, and, and reach out to God. I'm here today to tell you that his power... His Holy Spirit is here. It's around us. It's holding us. It's in us. And He knows who you are. For some of you, I know some of the stuff you're going to, through. You've talked to me. We've had conversations about it. Others of you are secretly fighting a battle that you've never let anybody in on. But I'm here today to tell you that God knows you. God knows who you are. I know I've said that a lot, but I'm going to keep saying it until somebody gets it. He knows you. And he loves you. And he's with you in the storm. Don't let the world tell you anything different. Don't let the world tell you anything other. But why don't you let the power and the presence of Almighty God begin to speak because I'm going to now let him talk to you on an individual level. I'm going to open these altars. You can come. You can kneel right down at your seat. You can step, step a few steps forward. Whatever you want to do. But I want you to lift your hands to the God that loves you more than anything in this world. And I want you to hear him. I want you to hear him say what he told Israel. Regardless of what you think, I have not forgotten you. I have not forgotten you. I know you may be in some captivity. I know you may be in some straits. I know you may be in some storms, but I've not forgotten you. I've not forgotten you. I know you by name. And I know who you are. In Jesus' name, would you come? Would you come? Would you come? So loving and so true.